Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. Uh, we get to talk a little bit briefly about Domingo Herman's perfect game, of course, the 24th ever in MLB history. That happened about a week ago. Um, late upload, of course, it was 4th of July on Tuesday. So we'll have this episode up on uh, mid-afternoon Wednesday. This will be up, so... It's not terrible, but uh, what is Domingo, Domingo Armand's perfect game? And then he had, he already had his second, his first outing since the perfect game. Didn't even go five innings. Um, just a microcosm of kind of how the year has gone for him. He pitched four and two thirds, nine hits, three runs, two of them earned, and struck out five against, I think it was the Orioles. So. It was, um, yeah, it, it was weird, you know? I can't believe he's the one to be throwing a perfect game for the Yankees, but whatever. We'll talk about him. The MLB All-Star Game and is coming up, and we'll talk about the rosters. And then, of course, the NBA. Bunch of signings that we have to get to. Damian Lillard officially requesting a trade. Not really shockingly, I think the... The Trailblazers kind of recognized that, but there was an interesting dialogue around the, the Blazers and who they should trade him to because everyone was just like, Miami's got it. He's going to Miami. Dame's preference is Miami. And the Blazers were like, no, 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 no. We'll do what's best for us. It's it, The time to catering to Damian Lillard is over. So, nice episode. Well-rounded here this uh, this week, what am I going to say? I think I'm going to see a movie too. Next week, though. Next Tuesday, I think I'm going to see the new Mission Impossible, and then at the end of the month, um, so July 11th, I'm going to see Mission Impossible, and then at the end of the month, I'm going to see I'm going to go see Barbie and Oppenheimer probably in the same day. I will do it. I will do it. I'll make it a point. <laughs> okay, so Domingo Armand's perfect game. The 24th perfect game in MLB history. The fourth perfect game in Yankees history. The first being Don Larson when he threw a perfect game in Game 5 of the World Series against the uh, Brooklyn Dodgers. Probably the best perfect game of all time considering it came in the World Series nothing's ever happened like that ever before. Um, I wouldn't say there are, it was the most dominant. There are, there are a bunch of really dominant perfect games where it's just like ease throughout the entire way. But considering the, the stakes of this game, yeah. I mean, Don Larson in a World Series, perfect game. Like that's probably the greatest perfect game of all time. Uh, the second and third coming in back-to-back years during the Yankees' late 90s dynasty, 1998 and 1999, David Wells and then David Cohn in back-to-back years, both at Yankee Stadium. And then this one, Domingo Herman, a random Thursday night. It was, <laughs> or a random Wednesday night, whatever it was. A random Wednesday night in the Oakland Coliseum, with, you know, a basically empty stadium, 
only a handful of fans there to watch the A's play the Yankees, a random night, random 1030 night. It was unreal. Um, only 99 pitches for perfection for Domingo Herman. Uh, so his pitch count was down. It's not like he was throwing a lot of pitches. The guy, the A's weren't fouling off a lot of pitches. He wasn't throwing a lot of balls. Everything was in the strike zone. A's never hit anything particularly well. Um, there was one, one play, every perfect game has one, where there's one play where you look back and say, this is what saved the perfect game. And it was, I think, the bottom of the fifth. Anthony Rizzo made a diving play down the first baseline, backhanded, and uh, recorded the out at first base. But that's probably the the highlight player you look at and say that that saved it. Because nothing else was particularly close. Nothing was hit particularly well or driven particularly deep in the outfield. So Domingo Herman was just... He, he was masterful. He was perfect. You know, as cliche as it says, that is to say, he was literally perfect. Uh, 99 pitches and had everything working for him. Obviously, the elephant in the room is that he was, uh, there's a domestic violence charge against him from a couple years ago where the Yankees suspended him. I think he got suspended from MLB as well. And he's been having to work his way back. He's had his ups and downs with the Yankees. Overall, I would say he's been a pretty, I guess, reliable back-end rotation guy. That's not really, I think, what the Yankees had pictured for him in their future, but he's been serviceable. He's been good. Particularly this year, he's been very up and down. Um, Prior to his perfect game, he had two starts against the Red Sox and Mariners where he let up a total of... I think it was eight runs to the Red Sox and then seven to the Mariners. Just absolutely clobbered by both of these clubs who are not really doing well this year. The Mariners, I think, are floating around 500 and the Red Sox are, uh, I think, in last in the ALE. So two teams that are just not doing very well yet. Yeah, Boston's 43 and 43. They're last in the East. And Seattle's 42 and 42. So they're both 500 teams, and they both hammered Herman. And then he goes out there against Oakland, which, granted, yes, they are the worst team in baseball. They are. But it it doesn't matter. I mean, perfect is perfect. It doesn't matter who it goes up against. Like any 27 up, 27 down is something that is like incredibly, incredibly difficult to do when you think about the fact that you can't walk anyone. There can be no miscues on defense. If you hit a batter, um, any errors, pass balls, whatever, like, God forbid, you throw a ball in the dirt, it gets past your catcher and the guy reaches on like a drop third strike or whatever. Everything, other than the pitcher, everything else also has to be perfect. So it is in that aspect... In that aspect, more of a a team accomplishment than a no-hitter would be, per se. Because with a no-hitter, it's like, yeah, the pitcher's not allowing a hit. But if someone messes up, if the pitcher walks a guy, if they hit a batter, whatever it is, then that's, you know, something that can be, um, you just kind of throw your hands up like, ah, oh, that stinks. 
it's always the worst when I think this happened to Clinton Kershaw. He had like a perfect game through four, and then there was an error in the field. Uh, so he finished the game, and it ended up being a no hitter. And the only blemish was that one error in the field in the fifth inning. And then you look back at that, and you're like, "Oh my God, I can't believe it." Um, but you know, hindsight 2020 in that regard. So just crazy, absolutely crazy. I mean. I was alive when David Cohn and David Wells threw their no-hitters, but I was like two and three years old. So that doesn't really count. Um, Same way, like, the Yankees won all those World Series when I was young. The earliest memories of baseball that I have are the Subway Series. Um, There are particular moments that I do remember from that series, And then the next year, even more so, I remember a lot about that Arizona Diamondbacks World Series in 2001. Um, So that, those two are the earliest memories of baseball that I have. Um, And then, of course, 2003 against the Marlins. So really, I watched the Yankees lose in those two World Series when I was younger, and then I didn't see them win until 2009 um, in terms of being like, a conscience, a conscious human being and be able to like record memories. Uh, that's about as early as I can go is the year 2000 when I was four years old, which I think if anyone says they remember things for, vividly from before they were like four or five years old, it depends what you're describing. You know, there are moments where my parents are like, yeah, like, like I remember it, but I don't know. I'm getting kind of off track here. So point being, this is my first Yankees no-hitter I've ever seen, even though they've had four, uh, and two of them I was alive for, I just don't remember. So this one, being able to watch it, it's really, really cool. I I wish it happened to someone with more recognition. Like, Domingo Herman is such a name that's like so low on the totem pole of starting pitching in... Uh, the MLB, like someone described it. They're like, describe Domingo Herman's perfect game in NBA terms. And someone was like, imagine like Kent Bazemore scoring 101 points. <laughs> it was, it was crazy. Like it, it was so, it's so bizarre. Like, and no disrespect to Kent, Kent Bazemore. Domingo Herman's probably, probably not as good as a person as Kent Bazemore. I'm just talking about in terms of like, star power, I guess. It, it, it's just something that's so low on the totem pole. It's kind of sad, honestly, that Felix Hernandez, like Felix Hernandez held that title for 12 years. Or 11 years. 2012 it was? 11 years. 2012, yeah. Felix Hernandez threw the last perfect game in the MLB, it was against the Tampa Bay Rays, which was a very good temp. That Tampa Bay team had, you know, they were only a couple years removed from the World Series. They had um, Longoria, BJ Upton, Carlos Pena, uh, Ben Zobrist, like really good ball players. So to, per- to throw a perfect game against them, that was Felix Hernandez. That was King Felix. And that call, um, part I don't know the the play by play announcer for the Mariners, so I apologize, but. Uh, off the top of my head, I don't know it, so I apologize. But he had an un... 
unbelievable call to that game as well. And no disrespect to Ryan Rucco. It sucks that it wasn't Michael Kay. Like, Michael Kay is the voice of the Yankees, and that just is... That's crazy, of course, that it's, it's Rucco, you know? It, it was like a, a twist, a sick twist of fate. It should have been... Because back in 98, 99, you know, John Sterling was still doing... He was the voice of the Yankees. Michael Kay had been... I think he might have been a color guy at that point. Or maybe he was the play-by-play for radio, so... Uh, but it's just the fact that Michael K wasn't able to call that is a bit, eh, you know, because he's good in big moments, man. I know Michael K gets kind of uh, blasted a lot for being, you know, not a very entertaining play-by-play guy. Uh, but I, I enjoy him. He's grown on me because um, I did have problems with that as well. I think it's mostly... Sometimes the Yes Network was experimenting with a lot of guys in in the booth with Kay, and that's just not good for business. Um, but he's been great in, in in big moments, like historical moments for the Yankees. You know, Jeter's 3,000 hit, A-Rod's 3,000 hit. Um, just big moments like that. He does a really good job. So... I kind of wish he I was able to hear him call that perfect game for Herman, but Ryan Rucco, what an opportunity for that guy. Uh, if, if Kay ever decides to hang it up anytime soon with the Yankees, and maybe he just wants to keep his radio show, or he just retires from everything all at once, uh, Rucco is like that next guy up. He is... He's got like a nice gig going on right now. He does stuff for ESPN. He does games for ESPN. Um, he does, you know, Brooklyn games when I and Eagle is doing off doing something else. And then of course he has a slated amount of games that he does for the Yankees. Uh, but yeah, so it's, it was kind of weird that that adds in really to like that off night. It wasn't even, the voice of the Yankees wasn't on the call. It was, it was the backup Ryan Rucco, um, who, who did make a good call. It, It was fine. It just was a bit, it was weird. It was just all weird because it's in Oakland, so you don't have Yankees fans going crazy. There's like practically no one at the stadium because the A's are so bad, no one's going to see this team play, regardless of who's in town. Uh, and then it's it's Domingo Herman, who a lot of people don't like and is also just not a popular name in the sport. And then all, you have Ruko on the call. So it's just, and it was a Wednesday night West Coast game. So even some Yankees fans probably weren't even up to watch it because it was late. Bad, just bad stuff all around in terms of how many people were able to watch this or care about this. Uh, weird. Just a weird night. But perfection was uh, was made. So congratulations to Domingo Herman. Uh, let's go into the MLB All-Star teams the all-star game is a tuesday i hate that july 11th which i just said i was going to see a movie the movie's at 6 30 and the game doesn't start till 8 but by the time opening lineups and all that kind of stuff and the national anthem and everything probably not till like 8 30 start time 8 25 i mean i'll be home by like 9 30 um Probably. 
I'll be home by 9.30, probably. I'll catch the game. I'll catch the game. It, it's, there's not a lot, of, there's like no Yankees, so it's, you know, it's not, whatever. And there's a lot of injuries, too. A lot of injuries just came down the pipeline. So these were the starters, and then I'll get to the injuries. These were the starters for uh, the All-Star game for the AL. A lot of Texas. A lot of Texas. Um, Jonah Heim, catcher. Yandy Diaz, or Heim for the Rangers. Yandy Diaz at first base for the Rays. Marcus Simeon uh, for the Rangers. Second base, Josh Jung, rookie for the Rangers at third base. Corey Seager for the Rangers at shortstop. So they have every infield position other than first base. Um, Judge, Trout, and Randy Arozarena from the Rays are the outfield. And the DH, and I think starting pitcher, is going to be Shohei Otani. Not anymore, though. Uh, the manager is Dusty Baker, of course. National League starters, Sean Murphy, Braves, Freddie Freeman, Dodgers, Luis Arias, Marlins, Nolan Arenado, Cardinals. Shortstop, Orlando Arcia for the Braves. And then Acuna for the Braves. Betts, Corbin Carroll, rookie for the, uh, for the Diamondbacks. And then the DH is J.D. Martinez. The manager is, of course, Rob Thompson. Um, reserves for the American League. Remember the Amer- uh, the MLB All-Star Game still has the whole one representative for each team rule. So some guys you're going to look at and be like, why are they, why are they All-Stars? Uh, Salvi Perez for the Royals, Adley Rushman, um, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Whit Merrifield, don't know why, and I, uh, Vladdy Guerrero Jr. too, I'm not even sure, Bo Bichette, and then Jose Ramirez from the Guardians, Luis Robert from the White Sox, Austin Hayes, Jordan Alvarez, Adolis Garcia from the Rangers, and then the DH Brett, Brent Rooker from the Athletics. See what I mean? Um, although he's been playing pretty well. National Leagues, Reserves, uh, Will Smith, Dodgers, Elias Diaz from the Rockies, Matt Olson, uh, Ozzie Albies, Austin Riley, and Dansby Swanson from the Cubs, Pete Alonzo. Uh, outfield, Loris Goriel Jr. from the Diamondbacks, Nick Castellanos, Juan Soto, and DH, so- uh, Jorge Soler. Pitchers for the American League, Otani, Cole, Luis Castillo, Sonny Gray, Nathan Evaldi, Kevin Gossman, Shane McClanahan, Framer Valdez, Michael Lorenzen from the Tigers, Kenley Jansen, Emmanuel Classe, Felix Bautista, and Yanir Cano. National League pitchers, Zach Gallen, Spencer Strider, Bryce Elder, Justin Steele, Mitch Keller, Josiah Gray, Clayton Kershaw, Marcus Stroman, Alex Diaz, or Alexis Diaz, Josh Hader, Devin Williams, and Camilo Duvall. Replacements. They already got replacements. Following have been added to the all-star replacements who are inactive or opted out because of injury. Uh, Wander Franco from the Rays is replacing Judge. George Kirby from the Mariners is replacing McClanahan. Julio Rodriguez from the Mariners is replacing Jordan Alvarez. And Kyle Tucker from the Astros is replacing Mike Trout. There will probably be an extra... Oh, actually, Otani has a blister on his hand, so he's probably not going to pitch in the All-Star game, but he will probably get an at-bat in the All-Star game. So he's probably not going to be... An injury replacement. National League replacements. Uh, David Bedner from the Pirates replaces Clayton Kershaw. I think that is it. Let me double check. Yes, that is. those are all the injury replacements for both leagues. So, 
Fun roster. I don't know. Let me see. MLB All-Star starting pitchers. Did they announce that yet? It's in it's in uh Seattle. So starting Luis Castillo would probably be pretty cool. I don't know if they necessarily want to go that route. Um I mean this is from MLB.com one day ago, so no, I guess they haven't. Uh let's see. MLB.com has number one, Spencer Strider for the National League. Zach Gallen. Justin Steele. I don't know why you would do that when you have Marcus Stroman. There's another one, Marcus Stroman. Uh, that's for the NL. And for the AL, I mean, I would imagine it was going to be Otani. Um, but because of that blister, like I said, he's not pitching. So probably... It would probably be Luis Castillo. Like, I don't see why it wouldn't be Luis Castillo. That just makes all the sense in the world if the All-Star game is in Seattle. Like, that's just that's just the natural pick. You get the, the hometown guy to start the All-Star game in his hometown. Um, at least, that's how I think it should go. But it might be Stroman. He's having a sensational year. Um, like, 270 RA, something like that. He's been unbelievable. Uh, Zach Gallen also been fantastic for a good Diamondbacks team. He's certainly a, calib- a high caliber starting pitcher for the All-Star game. So those will probably be announced within the next couple days or so. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, the All-Star game. I've always enjoyed the MLB All-Star game. Um, I, I hated it. I hated when they took away the meaning of it. Because uh, it used to be, for people who might not be aware, the All-Star Game used to dictate who would have home field advantage in the World Series. So, when the AL won, the AL team would have a home field for the World Series. When the NL won, same thing. High stakes. So, a lot of these guys that were on, like, really good teams, like, they were playing hard for something like they were they were playing for home field advantage should their team get to the world series it was really really cool it was the only all-star game that truly meant something because everything else was just a you know a glorified exhibition game but this really meant something and then of course they took that away and they were just like whatever team had the better record in the regular season is going to have home field advantage. Which is the much more fair, but also much less fun way to do things, in my opinion. So, it it makes sense. Obviously, it makes sense. Especially now with the, uh, with the change of schedule, where every team plays each other, I think, an equal amount of times. Now, it makes way more sense. Because if everyone's playing the same amount of teams the same amount of time, there's no complaining about, you know, so-and-so had an easier division or so-and-so had a harder division, so they played more games against tougher opponents, yada, yada, yada. So, moving on. Um, The NBA has been crazy, of course. Bunch of people, Woj and Shams, they let the drafts rip on uh, Friday, I think it was, at 6 p.m., 
free agency in the NBA officially began. So they just let the drafts rip, announcing all these different signings. The first one, of course, Draymond Green back to the Warriors. I think he's getting like 25 mil a year. Um, four for 100, I think it was. So he's back with the Warriors. All Everything that was expected, especially with the trade of Jordan Poole. But let's just go to, we're going on NBA.com, baby. And we are going team by team. Some will be brief. Others will not. Let's get into it. The Atlanta Hawks, they got Rudy Gay. That's it. Uh, Celtics, we went over the Porzingis trade. The Nets, their big thing, they signed Cam Johnson to a four-year deal. I mean, this was an overpay. Four years, $108 million for Cam Johnson. Uh, I don't know, man. That's that's a lot of money for Cam Johnson. Now, I get you can't really do much right now. Um, I, I don't know if how really deep the Nets are in the Damian Lillard sweepstakes. I don't really know why they would be, but they're just uh, that that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I, I don't really know where they're at. They're clearly, I guess, just gonna ride with. With Bridges being the guy for now, uh, until something else happens. But 108 for for Cam Johnson is a lot, and he's a he's a good player. He's a good player, but uh, he needs if he's if he's played if he plays anything like he did with the Suns, and then what he did with Brooklyn last year. He's going uh, he's going to be wildly overpaid. So he needs to take a little bit of a leap. Um, I'm not, I'm not talking about like Bridges kind of leap where he just went from a good role-playing wing player on the Suns to just like this absolute star on the Nets, but he needs to definitely shoot a little bit more. He definitely needs to be a more, um, more like unconscious really like just shoot the ball more. You don't have to shoot just corner threes, like be show, show your bag. You know, be that offensive weapon. Otherwise, they're just overpaying for a guy that's going to be like a 3 and D role player. That's kind of weird. Uh, LaMelo Ball resigns. He signs his uh, multi-year max extension with the Charlotte Hornets. It's like, I think the second high biggest contract in the league right now it is outrageous five years 260 million dollars for Lamelo ball uh sure I mean you that's that's fine Lamelo is obviously a a good basketball player I don't really know if he's worth 52 million dollars a year basketball player but he is very good um he needs to make adjustments though his game's not perfect his game's not perfect, and he is not consistent. Like, he'll have games where he just shoots horrific percentages from the field. Um, clearly a gifted playmaker, though. Great handles, high basketball IQ. It's not like he's just dumb and taking these ridiculous shots. He has an incredibly high basketball IQ. One of the best passers in the league. Um, can one of the best rebounding guards in the league? Of course, he's huge. 
um, like a six seven point guard, right? So he's rebounding. He's making plays. Not if if his if his jumper is not there, he's still making plays. He's a vital going to be a vital part of this team moving forward. And if him and Brandon Miller can really mesh, like if Brandon Miller can really develop, he he's a smart he's a smart dude for saying this. His goat of basketball, whatever. His favorite player is Paul George. He's very smart for saying that because a lot of people see Paul George in him. Like he can definitely reach those heights. He has. All the physical attributes. He's already a good. He's an, in, he was you know inconsistent in college, but as a pro, you work on that and you just get better and better and better. Work on maybe your mechanics, more fluid, whatever. But he's a natural shooter. He's a natural scorer of the basketball. He's long, athletic. He's going to be able to guard multiple positions. Um, he has Paul George potential, absolutely. So now you have. Your point guard, your small forward. I thought the Hornets did a fantastic job drafting this year in terms of value. I think, you know, you get worried that you draft for position, you draft for need rather than best available because a lot of people probably would have taken Scoot over Miller. Um, but they have Lamelo, so it's like, okay, why we t- why would we take Scoot at? At two, when we could take Brandon Miller, like they, I think a lot of people had them interchangeable. I don't think it was just like a consensus. Yes, Scoot Henderson is better than Brandon Miller. I, I don't think that was the case. So for the Hornets to take Brandon Miller, I'm not gonna like hold it against them. Be like they're totally stupid, yada yada yada. Like I totally get why they did it in terms of fit and in terms of they probably just didn't think there was that big of a talent discrepancy where like they had to take Scoot Henderson. Um, so, and I think they, who else they got? They got, uh, Amari Bailey, Nick Smith, was it too, they drafted? So they, they got some good value there in the draft. They're a young team that I think OKC might be on average in terms of age, the youngest team in the league, but, uh, they're a close second. So I'm excited to see what, what they have going on now with this this new LaMelo contract and where they go from here cuz that's that's a big a big move for them of course new ownership too you know we'll see how they run things they run the ship without Jordan there Bulls not really doing a whole much of anything smaller contracts to Kobe White, Tory Craig and Javon Carter the Cavs they bring back Karis LeVert on a 2-year deal they got Georges Niang and Max Struess via a sign and trade so good depth there for the Cavs. Uh, Three-point shooting in Niang and Struess. And then Karis LeVert just provides some versatility on the floor for them. The Mavs, they get Seth Curry on a two-year deal. Uh, so he's back in Dallas after being on uh, in Brooklyn. I think he was actually a part of a trade with, with Brooklyn. Or maybe it was a free agent signing. Regardless, he's back in Dallas, and I think Luka Doncic in that offense really missed someone like Seth Curry. Obviously, he missed Jalen Brunson a ton, um, and just a lot of those other like three and D three point shooters that could just spread the floor for Luka for him to play make with. Like getting Seth Curry back, I think is a really nice addition for this team, um, and they were smart to bring him back. Dante Exum. The Mavs signed Dante Exum to a one-year deal. Exum, back in the league, was a top pick 
oh my god, what was it, 2013, 2014? He was drafted by the Jazz, I think like top five in the draft. Uh, was an Australian guard. Just didn't pan out. He was he was big. He was a big dude. He was like, he was almost like LaMelo Ball before LaMelo Ball, honestly. Let's see, Dante Exum. He's, uh, how old is he now? He's only 27. It was the 2014 draft. He was the fifth overall pick. So I nailed it. Nailed it. Uh, he was taken by the Jazz. Um, it's not giving me his height for some reason on the quick Google, like the the mini Google thing. He's 6'5". He, he was born in Melbourne, Australia, like I said. And... Yeah, he played from with the Jazz from 2014 to 2019. He had a stint with the Cavs, which I don't I don't think he played with the Cavs though. I think he was just like riding pine the entire time, but from 19 to 21, uh and then he went back overseas, played for FC Barcelona and Partizan Belgrade. And now he's back in the league after 2 years overseas. He's back on a 1-year deal with the Dallas Mavericks. To back up Luka Doncic. Look at that. I mean, I don't really know if he's going to be like the backup to Luka. Um, we'll see how many minutes he gets. But I guess he was he was playing well over there. He was tearing it up. And now he's back in the league. Still young. He's got plenty of plenty left in the tank to to put together like a, a solid multi-year NBA career. Maybe get another contract, you know? So, and then uh, they got Dwight Powell. And of course, the big one being... Kyrie Irving, they bring him back um, on a three-year contract. He got his bag again. Three years, $126 million for Kyrie Irving. Uh, so they're giving him just over 42 years. 40 or just over 40 years. $42 million a year for Kyrie. Uh you knew that they had they had to do that. They had to. They had no choice. Can't just let this dude walk away with for nothing, you know, especially after trading for him. So I, I'm kind of sick of there was all this talk kind of surrounding Kyrie. Like, oh, he's he's talking to LeBron, he's talking to so-and-so, he's talking to this person. Like the the hypothetical like story, so-and-so is talking to so-and-so, or so-and-so is recruiting so-and-so to come join this team. It, it's so played out right now. I don't believe a lit. Whenever a reporter comes out and said, well, this player is talking to this player or this player is doing that, I don't believe a single word that comes out of their mouths because they're just relaying things that they might have heard or seen. No actual real business dealings, just friends across the league trying to convince each other to come play for them. And especially now with the whole three-star model being thrown out the window by the CBA, that's it. You get two. And you're lucky if you have to. Denver. Uh, they lose Bruce Brown to the Pacers, which we will get to. So that's a huge loss for them. They don't really make any moves. Uh, they sign Justin Holiday to one-year deal, and they get Reggie Jackson on a two-year deal and DeAndre Jordan, which none of them really are moving the needle for the defending champs. And Bruce Brown is a huge loss for them. Uh, the Pistons, they got Monte Morris in a trade with the Wizards. The Warriors, I mentioned Draymond Green uh, returning on a four-year deal. Chris Paul, they got as well. 
and they signed Corey Joseph. The Rockets, I have no idea what the Rockets are doing. This one is, this one's crazy because it was literally like, this is a team that's so young and so many of their players are on their rookie contracts that they have no money to like, they have all this money to spend, I should say. And if you don't spend it, you lose it. So teams spend it. And to spend it, in order to spend it, they gave out outrageous contracts to Dylan Brooks and Fred Van Vliet. Van Vliet, specifically. So Jeff Green, they got a one-year deal with Jeff Green. They gave a four-year deal to Jock Landau. Fred Van Vliet. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Fred Van Vliet got three years, $128 million for Fred Van Vliet. Uh, giving Fred Van Vliet the same contract as Kyrie Irving, it just doesn't make sense to me. You could say all you want about Kyrie. You know, he, he gets nagging injuries. He has, you know, the off-the-court stuff that a lot of people get annoyed about. Uh, he doesn't fit with Luka. That's more of the reason. Maybe he just doesn't fit with Luka Doncic. He doesn't fit within that Mavs team that they have. Um, whatever. I think the injury thing is also a bit of a concern because he does get injured sometimes at like the worst possible times but overall like the talent is undeniable for Kyrie Irving so to trade for him and then give him that contract makes sense Fred Van Vliet is an undersized guard who shoots the ball a lot who is just getting older and he's not as talented as Kyrie Irving no offense to Fred Van Vliet so to give him 42 million dollars a year to come play with your team that is just filled with a bunch of young guys that also like to shoot. I don't really understand that one. And then Dylan Brooks. The Dylan Brooks contract. Uh, four years for him as well. $80 million, A bit more to... Like a bit easier of a pill to swallow. $20 million a year for Dylan Brooks. That's fine. He needs to finally learn. I think on this team that... He's not going to be shooting the ball. There's just simply too many mouths to feed offensively. Dylan Brooks will not be shooting the ball unless he is painfully wide open in the corner. That's the only shots he's going to be, get, be getting. Or like breakaway layups where he leaks out after a turnover or something like that. Uh, but he's not going to be doing much in that offense. The Pacers. They get Obi Toppin with a, a trade for the, uh, the Knicks. Obi Toppin. Um, I think just he had some concerns that he was voicing recently. So the Knicks shipped him out to Indiana for draft compensation. Uh, nothing crazy, but the Obi Toppin experiment is over. I, I, I salute him. I, I, I thank him for his hard work and hustle whenever he was on the floor. He always gave 110%, and that's something I can really, really respect. Um, but at the end of the day... He's a bit older. The Knicks weren't going to sign him to any type of extension, and he wasn't going to get that much playing time on this team. Uh, so send him to Indiana. See if he can reach new heights. He's going to get more playing time there, and I wish him the best. But it is what it is. Bruce Brown. Two-year contract for Bruce Brown. Uh, a, good, a good deal for him. A lot of money, though. $45 million. Two years... 45 million for Bruce Brown. Uh, good for him. 
I mean, he deserved it. He balled out in the playoffs. He balled out in the finals. He was an integral part to that Denver Nuggets team. You knew he was going to get uh, a bag, basically. I didn't think it would be for $22.5 million a year. I thought it would maybe be more around like 17 18 But it's a short contract. Again, just two years. So next year, you know, if a team is making a playoff push, they want to acquire someone... They go out, they call up the Pacers. Hey, what's up, dude? Give us Bruce Brown. So, honestly, a smart deal for the Pacers because there's someone, like, they're going to try. Obviously, they're not tanking. They have, like, some talent around that organization. They're going to try and win basketball games. I don't think they're going to end up being very good again, unfortunately. Um, Well, unfortunately for Pacers fans, no skin off my back, but... He's someone that is, they signed, they gave him his money, but now they're like, hey man, like, you'll play, he'll play this season as a pacer, but next year, he's going to be a hot trade piece for someone. The the Pacers, someone's going to be calling up the Pacers phone. And then of course, Tyrese Halliburton, uh, he got the max extension, five years, the same as LaMelo Ball, five years, $260 million. Massive overpay. I like I like Tyrese Halliburton. I do. Just too much money for him. I'm sorry. It is. It just is. Um the Clippers, they got KJ Martin in a trade with the Rockets. Uh Mason Plumley on a one year deal, and then they signed Russell Westbrook on a two year deal. And that's all they got cooking right now. They are in the Damian Lillard sweepstakes, though, I believe. So, the Lakers. A lot of moves for the Lakers. I love their moves. They were able to retain the team, basically, that did really well last year up until they ran into the Nuggets. Um, so they got Russell returning on a two-year deal. They got Austin Reeves on a generous contract. Four-year deal for him. Generous contract. Let me see what it is. It's four years, I think like 50-something million dollars they got Austin Reeves for. Uh, four years, 56 million a little over 56 million dollars again generous for him considering what the kind of minutes that he was giving the Lakers the crucial valuable minutes playing at a high level that he was giving the Lakers I thought he was going to get way more than that I thought he was going to get 100 million from someone I swear to god I thought he was going to get at least 20 million a year from somebody but the Lakers were able to keep him um they got Rui Hachimura back on a 3 year deal uh, let me see what his is. His is a bit more expensive. He got a three-year, $51 million deal. So, actually, that's pretty good, too. That's that's pretty good, too. Um, a little bit more expensive than Austin Reeves per year, but a shorter-length contract. They signed Jackson Hayes to a two-year deal. They signed Torian Prince to a one-year deal. Cam Reddish to a two-year deal. And I pray to the gods that my Cam Reddish rhetoric pays off finally I have been barking up this tree since he was on the Knicks and he got ousted by Tom Thibodeau then he went to the Trailblazers did basically nothing I am hoping that playing with LeBron James opens up some type of playing avenue for Cam Reddish because the talent is undeniable the motor is just basically non-existent he needs he needs to be playing winning basketball on a good team with a good culture, playing with Anthony Davis, LeBron James, everyone else there, that core. I th- mm, 
Come on, Cam. I believe in you, bro. I believe in you. Uh, D'Angelo Russell, two-year deal. They brought him back. And they also got Gabe Vincent on a three-year deal, which I think is huge for them. He gave, uh, as, after Tyler Hero got injured, Gabe Vincent gave unreal minutes for the Miami Heat where he was the top scorer on their team a couple of playoff games. Uh, so he he had a great playoff run. He's a good shooter, plays good defense, excellent uh, addition to the Lakers. And now everyone's favorite team in the NBA, the Memphis Grizzlies. They signed Desmond Bain to a five-year, $207 million extension. So they're really just going all in on him and John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. being the three guys that they are going to have for their future. Like, that's their core right there for the foreseeable future. Uh, They signed Derrick Rose, and then they got Marcus Smart in a trade with the Celtics, that three-way trade between the Celtics, Wizards, and themselves. The Heat, nothing. They are in the Damian Lillard sweepstakes, though. They signed Thomas Bryant to a two-year deal. They retained Kevin Love on a two-year deal, and they got Josh Richardson on a two-year deal. But they were rumored to be the number one team on Damian Lillard's list of being like, hey, trade me here. Um, And a lot of people thought, like, you know, trade the farm. The Heat were basically saying you could have everyone except for Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. Everyone else is is up for grabs. Tyler Hero, whoever, doesn't matter. And then whatever draft picks you want to throw in with that, too. Uh, that's all well and good, and it's nice that Miami is so willing to completely mortgage their future for Damian Lillard. Very, very generous of them. But the Blazers, after everyone was like, Dame's going to the Heat, Dame's going to the Heat, Dame's going to the Heat. It's a lock. It's over. It's a lock. The Blazers finally had the wherewithal to be like, hold on a second. What are we doing? What are we doing? We spent so many years, so many years trying to build around Damian Lillard. No stars wanted to come to Portland. None. Zero. So there's a lot of people out there It's like, well, the whole thing behind trading disgruntled star players, I'm not saying Damian Lillard's necessarily disgruntled, but it is time to go, right? But the whole idea behind that is if you don't listen to your star players and you spite them, no other star players are going to want to come and sign with your franchise and free agency because of how you treated the previous star player. That's the whole thing, like this snowball effect, right? And that is very, very true for some teams. Um, the, Bla- the Blazers are not that team because Damian Lillard was there for years putting up insane numbers and basically carrying a, a team to play different, different playoff runs and... Still, nobody wanted to sign with Portland. Uh, regard, like they would just hand out money. They were trying to hand out money, and they wouldn't do it. So that's not going to happen, right? Listening to Damian Lillard being like, "I want to go to Miami." That's nice. That's nice. But the Blazers finally recognized, "Hey, man, if we're really going to do this, if Damian Lillard's really going to leave." We're taking the best package possible. It doesn't matter if it's from the Pistons, right? If the Pistons offer the best trade possible for the Blazers, they're going to take it. Um, and, and that's the smartest way to approach this. You don't have to worry about making Damian Lillard angry and, you know, 
Oh, well, now we're not going to be able to get any free agents. Don't worry about it, boss. No one's going there anyway. No one of high profile is going to Portland anyway. Uh, so back to the Heat. And we'll, we'll revisit the Dame thing real quick when we get to the, the Blazers. But the Heat, they're in the sweepstakes, but they have, I mean, they lost Gabe Vincent. They lost Max Struess. Um, who else? I think that might be it right now. Anyway, the Bucks. The Bucks signed Beasley, Malik Beasley, to a one-year deal. They get Jay Crowder back on a one-year deal. They retained Brooke Lopez, which is huge for them, on a two-year deal. Uh, they signed his brother Robin as well. And then the big one, Chris Middleton, on a three-year deal. Um, they, they had no choice. They had no choice. Three years, $102 million for Chris Middleton. Again, no choice. You needed to do it. The Timberwolves, they bring back Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Walker, Shea's cousin, on a two-year deal. Um, and the big one, Anthony Edwards gets his max rookie extension. Um, this one is the one that makes the most sense to me out of... If you look at all of them, at all the five-year, $260 million extensions, right? Halliburton, LaMelo, and Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards is by far and away, I don't think it's even close, the best player and the most worth that contract. I think Anthony Edwards is going to make jaw-dropping, a jaw-dropping jump this next year. He already made a jump from his rookie year to this year. I think it's going to be even more so this year. I think he's going to put Cat firmly in the back seat and show the Timberwolves, hey, it's it's not about him. It's about me. I'm the one. I'm the guy. Uh, the Pelicans, just in utter turmoil. They signed Herb Jones to a four-year deal, which I love, and they got Cody Zeller on a one-year deal. My Knicks... Love this uh, this move that they made, Dante DiVincenzo. So now they got Josh Hart, Jalen Brunson, and Dante DiVincenzo from that Villanova squad on the Knicks. Not particularly what I had in mind. I kind of wanted Mikel Bridges to be a part of that, but I will take Dante DiVincenzo. I think that's a good signing for them. The Thunder, they got Patty Mills, Oladipo, and Jack White agrees to a two-year deal. The Magic, they got Joe Ingles on a two-year deal, and they signed Moritz Wagner, Mo. Mo Wagner on a two-year deal as well. The Sixers uh, agreed to a one-year deal with Patrick Beverly. The Suns tried to make some moves. Uh, aside from the Bradley Beal one, which we know, Bates Diop, Keita, Keita Bates Diop, signed a two-year deal. They got Drew Eubanks on a two-year deal. They signed Eric Gordon, Damian Lee returning on a one-year deal, Josh Kogi on a two-year deal, and Utah Watanabe on a one-year deal. So, uh, some depth to that Suns team. Watanabe in spurts is a very high percentage three-point shooter, which is good. Eric Gordon as well, of course, the veteran. Uh, the Blazers. The Blazers are going to trade. We're up to the we're up to the part now. Who do we have left? The Kings, the Spurs, the Raptors, Jazz, Wizards. Okay. The Blazers. They signed Jeremy Grant to a five-year deal. Way too much money for Jeremy Grant. $160 million. $160 million, $32 million a year for Jeremy Grant. And then the next day, 
the reports came out that Damian Lillard wanted a trade. Now, I assume... Now, it's also... It's kind of weird because Damian Lillard said his wish list in Portland is to re-sign Jeremy Grant and a couple other things that were just like, ugh, whatever. But the thing that was really possible was re-sign Jeremy Grant. The Blazers did it. A lot of money. $32 million a year for Jeremy Grant. Outrageous. And then the next day, Damian Lillard... The, the report came out, Damian Lillard requested a trade. I don't think it's like he asked for that, the Blazers did it, and then he said he wanted a trade. I think the Blazers knew he was going to request a trade, so they basically said, okay, um, we're just going to sign Jeremy Grant since your massive contract is coming off the books. We're just going to sign... We're just going to sign Jeremy and just roll with it. And then whoever we bring in, whatever picks and players we bring in from your trade, we're just going to fill into that lineup. And it's going to be, you know, Simons, um, Scoot Henderson, Jeremy Grant, and whoever else. And they're just going to work on like that young core moving forward. And that's it. So I, I, I don't think he's that malicious where he was like I want him to sign my boy Jeremy and then they give Jeremy Grant the bag and he's like yeah just kidding I want to trade that would be crazy uh the Sacramento Kings my Sacramento Kings Alex Len returns on a one-year deal Trey Lyles returns on a two-year deal DeMontis Sabonis gets a massive five-year 217 217 or 207 million dollar 217 million dollar contract worth it was exposed by the Warriors in the playoffs, so he's going to have to work on like some type of mid-range jumper, I think. Doesn't have to be like a three-point shooter by any means, but having some type of like mid-range elbow three uh, elbow jumper cuz Draymond was like was just letting him he was letting him shoot wherever he was wanting. As soon as he entered the paint, then he decided to guard him, but if he was just on any type of the perimeter, he wasn't doing anything. Like he didn't even have like a a floater like push shot in his game. He was just so nervous to shoot the ball, not in the paint. So he needs to develop some type of elbow jumper. Uh, the Spurs, not much. A uh, bunch of uh, some retainers. Trey Jones returns on a two-year deal. Julian Champagny returns on a four-year deal. Good for him. Um, the Raptors, they lose Fred Van Vliet. They get Dennis Schroeder on a two-year deal. Jakob Pertl returns on a four-year deal. And Jalen McDaniels returns, or sorry, agrees to a two-year deal. The Jazz, they extend Jordan Clarkson on a three-year deal, and they traded for John Collins with the Hawks. Uh, and the Wizards, kind of a whole bunch of different things going on with the Wizards. They got Landry Shamit in a three-team trade with the Suns and Pacers. They traded for Jordan Poole. They signed Kyle Kuzma, who Kuzma, I think, got less money than, than Cam Johnson, which is weird Four years, $102 million for Kyle Kuzma. Four years, 102 Yeah, four years, 108 for Cam. Four years, 102 for Kyle. That's crazy. And I know Kyle Kuzma, it's like kind of empty numbers on a bad team. But still, I mean, I think, I don't know. I think Kyle Kuzma is better than Cam Johnson. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm crazy. Maybe Cam Johnson will prove me wrong this year. Who knows? Uh, but anyway... Kuzma, Muscala, they got Ty, and then they got Tyus Jones, Danilo Gallinari, and Mike Muscala from the, the Celtics. So that is everything that has happened thus far in NBA free agency. Um, 
very very good stuff very fun i love nba free agency when the it's like the watching the ball drop and then suddenly you know whoa shams whoever else has got anything tucked up their sleeves they just let the drafts rip on twitter and you're just you're just scrolling you see something new every five minutes well not anymore you won't because apparently there's a tweet limit now that elon's done he's a he's a fraud he's a fraud for being one of the smartest people in the world he is dumb He's dumb. Has no idea what he's doing with Twitter. Uh, nothing else left on the rundown. So that'll do it for this episode of From My Point of View. Thank you all very much for listening. I appreciate you as always. I hope everyone had a safe and fun 4th of July and 4th of July weekend. Uh, excited for the MLB All-Star game. Maybe I'll just go back to Wednesday for now. Tuesdays seem kind of like booked. I don't know. We'll see. I think maybe I'll save the podcast next week for Wednesday as well, just because there is also, um, I'm going to the movies and the All-Star Games on Tuesday, so I'll just save that, be able to talk about it on Wednesday. That might be the the move. Um, But that'll do it for this episode from my point of view. Thank you all very much for listening. Have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you all next week. Uzi, not again. You're never gonna change. Yeah, yeah, first of all, I fuck eight bitches a day. How could you ever say no Uzi gay? Fuck four of them raw, fuck four of them say. Think I'm splitting an apple for you to debate. Don't want no pussy one world today. Pull out your tongue and you twirl it, baby. She lick on my back with them proudly, baby. Y'all been so wet like a sweaty bag. I'm more than a 40. If I pull out a tape with my portion. If I'm part you, part with portion. I fuck your bitch on kill like a portion. I put diamonds everywhere that more Flooded the face, mad at the rig, got a new house, unlimited space. It was just hard, now my life crazy.